Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. For far too long, those of us who enjoy a good professional golf feud were having to make do with whatever shade Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau were willing to throw at each other on any given day. And when you look back at it, it was fairly lowbrow stuff. My muscles are bigger than yours. You take too long to play a round of golf. That kind of nonsense. What we have now between Rory McIlroy and Phil Mickelson, it's more of a feud for the modern age featuring talk of dictatorships and sports washing and whatnot. Welcome to one of your two Monday Second Captains podcasts today. Hey, guys. Hey there. How's it going? Oh, this is... Um, right, so the story at the centre of this is a Saudi-funded breakaway golf league, which is supposed to rival the PGA Tour. It's being spearheaded by Greg Norman, former world number one, of course, but also appears to have Mickelson very much on board. An interview he did with Alan Shipnook, well-known golf writer, was published late last week on the Fire Pit Collective website. Shipnook explains the context that he had been working on an unauthorised biography of the golfer. Mickelson obviously knows this book is happening because Shipnook is interviewing people around him and he knows his involvement in this new Saudi-backed league is going to be part of the book. So he actually phones the writer up last November to put his version of events out there. Mickelson told Shipnook he'd enlisted three of the top players he declined to name and they paid for attorneys to write the operating agreement, blah, 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 blah. He didn't pretend to be excited about hitching his fortunes to Saudi Arabia, admitting the new league was nothing more than what he called sports washing by a brutally repressive regime. Shipnook quotes Mickelson, they're scary motherfuckers to get involved with, he said. We know they killed Khashoggi, the Washington Post reporter, um, Jamal Khashoggi, and have a horrible record on human rights. They execute people over there for being gay. Knowing all of this, why would I even consider it? Because this is a once in a lifetime opportunity to reshape how the PGA Tour operates. They've been able to get by with manipulative coercive strong arm tactics because we, the players, had no recourse. As nice a guy as the PGA commissioner is, unless you have leverage, he won't do what's right. And the Saudi money has finally given us that leverage. I'm not sure I even want the league to succeed, but just the idea of it is allowing us to get things done with the PGA Tour. So, that was Mickelson. Rory McElroy was asked about these comments yesterday. Like, I don't want to kick someone while he's, he's down, obviously, but I thought they were naive, selfish, uh, egotistical, uh, ignorant. 
um, a lot of words to describe that uh, interaction he had with Shipnock. It was uh, just very surprising and uh, disappointing, sad. Um, and I'm sure he's sitting at home sort of rethinking his position and, and where he goes from here. <laughs> it's interesting. I don't want to kick someone while he's down, obviously. But I thought they were naive, selfish, egotistical, ignorant. Uh, I think McElroy was was ready with that answer. I mean, you read the? Have you guys read the the, Mikkel, the initial yes. Mickelson the FarbaCollective dot com uh, story? Yes, it's unbelievable stuff, really. I mean, just you know, like I've given the headline of it there, the the sort of headline quotes, but. There's a lot in it. What's very interesting, they honestly strike you as the kind of quotes that must have been, you, you would think on the on the surface of it, are these off the record or something? Or or is this, was this a proper, he's very clear, the journalist Shipnook is very clear that he did not, this wasn't, Mickelson is a smart guy and he didn't say this is only background or he didn't say this is off the record. He ran knowing he's working on this book and basically put this stuff on the record with him. Well, the man is a plank. <laughs> And that's what you got. That's what you got to remember about Phil Mickelson. And I don't know that much about him, but I saw. I mean, when I saw, it, I was like, "This guy's a, this guy's a plank." Like, because it's not as though he's the only guy taking money from Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's this is this has been. Uh, I mean, there's this there's quite a lot of it going on at the moment. Saudi Arabia is is out in the world making investments everywhere, uh, but to sort of. To say it so baldly in such terms, like what kind of a person says this? Well, obviously, you know, they've done these terrible things. However, this way I get to put pressure on the PGA Tour. <laughs> like, if you, you said the quiet part the loud, the phrase, Phil. Once in, a li- once in a lifetime, Ken. This is a once in a lifetime <laughs> chance to uh, revolutionize the PGA Tour. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 incredible, and the whole article was was amazing. I thought. I mean, I I actually have become interested in filmmakers in a way I never was before, uh, having read this article because he just seems to be a kind of a he seems to be a kind of a very zeitgeisty figure. NFTs, that's another um, term from the modern age that I should have mentioned at the start that pops up in here. The tour is sitting on multiple billions of dollars worth of NFTs. They're sitting on hundreds of millions of dollars worth of digital content that we could be using for our social media feeds. The players need to own all of that. Well, this is the, the this was the interesting thing about it. Like, you know, Phil wants to sell off all his, he needs to sell off all his highlights. Um, you know, he's, he's discovered that people are prepared to pay money for these NFT things. And uh, hang on, I've 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 got lots of things. You know, I've got like winning puts. Uh, I mean, I've got memorable shots. I mean, there must be loads of idiots out there prepared to pay money for this old rope. The only problem is I don't own the old rope. It's the tour. It's the dictatorship of the tour. <laughs> they, that's that's the dictatorship in question. That that's that's what he called. The, that's what he likened the PGA tour to. Yeah, it's a dictatorship like Saudi Arabia. Uh, no, he didn't. He didn't like in the tour to Saudi Arabia. Uh, they divide and conquer. So he's basically saying the tour is this is this money making entity. He's sort of a populist sort of uh, uh, take on it from from Phil. You always think of me as a right winger, but I'm actually pretty liberal on social issues like abortion. Uh, I said, but your number one issue is taxes. He said, no, no, no. My number one, two, three, four, and five issues are taxes. So Phil, that's just, from an old interview. Yeah, that was that was Shipnook requotes that from an old interview. Phil seriously hates taxes to the extent that he's prepared to move to some island, <laughs> some island off the coast of Florida, so he doesn't have to pay income tax. Um, but 
yeah, he 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 can't he can't package up all his highlights and sell them as NFTs if the tour owns the legal rights to it. So he needs to he needs to find some way of applying leverage. It's just amazing stuff. Like it really is. Just uh, I mean, you know, again, I'm not I'm not even suggesting the tour deserves to own all this. It's just his like gimlet-eyed uh, greed and like you know the way that he says. Well, obviously they killed Kishoshi. Having said that. You know, it's just amazing. Mm. And he uh, sunk the whole he, thing now as well. I mean... It, uh, it, oh, you're right, has he? Yeah. Well, it seems to be, yeah. We can hear a bit more sure from McElroy that. here. Well, uh, already, who, who was this Justin week? Justin Shambo and Dustin Johnson. They, they've committed to the PGA Tour. And now McElroy has skin in the game on the other side as well in the sense that he's on the Players Advisory Council. So he's he's uh, with, with the PGA Tour. So he works with them, which he feels also gives him... A, good insight into how things actually operate but more to the point DeChambeau and Dustin Johnson yeah they've committed to the PGA Tour they've resisted the the tactics of those trying to recruit them tactics that McElroy gave an insight into actually this is into how the backers of the new league are trying to recruit players I was going to ask you too I mean there was a lot of um, action this week there was a lot of momentum and, and noise this week why was that? Why was it this week do you think that so much happened? Do you have any thoughts on that? I've, I've no idea again I've always I know the way these guys have operated and it's all been smoke and mirrors and they've created rumors and spread rumors and tried to play one guy off another guy and said one thing to one manager and a different thing to another manager and it's just sort of created this chaos and confusion around that group and everyone's questioning everyone else's motives. So they've just sort of played everyone off one another and I think it's it's nice now that we all you know, can sit down and say, look, we're all on the same page here. Yes, are there things that the tour could do better and are working on? Of course, but that's the same in, in any business, in any um, sports league around the world. They're all trying to get better, just as the PGA Tour are. So, um, but that is why the, you know, the tournament in Saudi happened a couple of weeks ago. I thought it was awfully quiet. I didn't, you know, there was no announcements that were really made. And then I think once that happened, Everyone was waiting for something, and um, nothing really came of it. Well, I guess. I've this before, but would this end it? Oh, this, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, who, who's left? Who's left to go? I mean, there's no one. It's dead in the water. So yeah, McElroy's in an interesting spot here. You can see how passionate he is about it, just by how he answers that last question. It's that like he's saying it's sunk, as in. But he's, he, it's almost like he's willing it to be the case that, that you know, this is, it's over now. It's, it's, he's, the, his pitch goes so high as he's talking there. I thought it was kind of interesting. Mm. And I don't know, is part of McElroy still thinking back to the round of golf with Trump, which he, he owned afterwards, if I recall correctly. But he might feel he was on the wrong side of history there and... I doubt. I doubt he's. I wouldn't say so. Do you think Roy McIlroy is, is guilty about playing around a golf with Donald Trump? I doubt it. Well, he, he said he has. Yeah, he said he's guilty about it. You know that he feels uh, uh, very conflicted and guilty about it. He said it to Lawrence Donegan's uh, podcast. But I mean, listen. Mm. I mean. Like, I understand that Rory is like, not. Nah, he does have some skin in this game. But at the same time, it is actually quite refreshing to hear one of the world's biggest sports stars just be like, this is like, how can you come out and say this? Yeah. How can you work with these people when you know full well? It's not even, you know, I'm out here trying to feed my family, which in fairness is what Shane Lowry said when he uh, uh, took the money to go and play in Saudi Arabia like last month. 
Um, well, he said, well, he said, I'm not a politician, I'm a professional golfer. Yeah. yeah, at least he didn't say, look, I know they killed Jamal Khashoggi, but on the other hand, have you seen how much money they're giving me? Yeah. You know, <laughs> just basically what Phil, Mich- Phil Mickelson is going out with, like, which is which is what makes it so amazing. Because mostly people will find a way to uh, to sort of try to, what's the word, finesse that, you know, rather than just like a, you know, a bull in a china shop. Uh, just going straight in there and saying, yes, I understand the situation, but I don't care, which is, you know, people will, will usually find some way of, wow, that's not really my, that's not really my bag. Mm. When the fig leaf it. falls and all you're left with is, you know, Phil Mickelson's face, shall we say, behind that fig leaf, but that's not Phil a very good look. R- <laughs> ripping off the fig leaf and putting it on, trying to sell it as an NFT, trying to mint it. As <laughs> like, why, why does Phil need so much, need so much money? Hasn't he won like nearly a hundred million dollars? Uh, he's lost quite it? a bit as well. Why is he so, why is he so thirsty mm. for cash? Going well, there's more speculation about that in the Is there a hole in his bucket somewhere? Maybe he could uh, he could sell that as an NFT, the hole the hole in my bucket. We need to uh, yeah, we, we need to see if 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 Mickelson comes back at McElroy here, but McElroy came out pretty strong there. As for another war of war of words, Mer Philly McMahon. Philly versus the county of Mayo. Well, <laughs> not, of Mayo. not really, actually. The more you read the column, um it's well, you set the scene there, on. It's basically filling the Truth managers. is, yeah. there were always certain Mayo players that were easy to wind up. You could take them out of their stride because they were more concerned with being seen to be standing up to you than sticking to what they were supposed to be doing. He then talks, at the, earlier in the piece, he has talked about the 2020 Ireland final when he gets a load of players, a load of Mayo players off their game by targeting, basically he goes after Killian O'Connor and says, oh, you missed a free. And then loads of people jump in on Killian's behalf and... Uh, within two seconds I had three of them on top of me raring to go frothing at the mouth it petered out in a couple of seconds but they were raging childish maybe but there was a method to it so uh, yeah this is another column having a dig at this is in the end though I should say yeah yeah. at Aidan O'Shea Uh, and we're uh, under no illusions Uh, his picture uh, Aidan O'Shea's is right there at the top of the piece online Uh, and Philly makes it quite clear later on as as I'll explain as well so let's dive in let's be having you because um, the whole like the whole piece is basically about how culture and le- you know Dublin had better leaders and a better environment than Mayo, and that's why Dublin won time and time and time again against Mayo. And yeah, he compares it to the England golden generation and Michael Owen saying that there was essentially like a media building up of that team and of the the bulldog English spirit, and there was a feeling then in the team that oh we have to live up to what we're supposed to be doing out there rather than actually playing their own game and creating their own identity. And the point being that the identity comes from the leaders in the team. So Dublin had Cluxton and Jim Gavin, for example. Yeah, and I mean you know if you're saying culture was what separated this Dublin team from the rest of the chasing pack, then that's you know I obviously accept that that's what you think from inside Paul Flynn talks about it with us too and I'm always interested by that but there seems to be like almost a, re- a reluctance for members not just the dubs like but for members of great teams to just say they were the best because they had brilliant players or a brilliant manager you know you see it with Liverpool for the last couple of years where people are scratching around talking to you know the throw-in coach or the analytics guys for 4,000 word think pieces trying to explain why Liverpool suddenly got really really good and the clubs seem to be all moving in the same direction over the last five years when rather than just saying like they hired Jurgen Klopp he is a brilliant manager mm. you know it's like it's not an unfair advantage to hire someone really good and just ride that wave you know like the All Blacks is like could be the foremost example of it in world sports you know the good people make good All Blacks all that crack mm-hmm. um, you know Sonny Bill Williams admitted it to us last week on. We were literally talking to a, uh, an All Black 
uh, I was asking Andy what he could learn from an All Black who'd performed in, you know, like the foremost high performance environment in world sport. And, and the answer that Sonny Bill gave us was, well, hold on a second. We actually had brilliant players. Let's not go nuts over this culture business. Would yeah, you- but that was the, but but that is the point that Mac- Philly McMahon is making here. Also, it is that players drive it, and it's that you need your players to be the leaders of that, so that that when other teammates look around, they they know what's demanded of them from the leading players. And you're what you're saying that specifically, he's got an issue with the leadership of Aidan O'Shea. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, he tries to sugarcoat it as best he can, but I mean, well, the big problem I have with this basically is that in the same way that Joe Brawley has been running about Mayo for like the last six or seven years, Philly appears to see Mayo losing football games as like a moral failure. failure, You know, mm. and like it falls far short of a moral failure to be losing All-Irelands. But anyway, like I'm not sure who their chiefs are. You can never really tell, tell what goes on inside another team's camp, but you sense things. I've always felt that we had stronger leaders than Mayo and a better environment and, like, and better players. I mean, it's not too much to ask that, like, you say that you had better players. Paul Flynn was writing this weekend. He said that, like, he was willing to say that Dublin had better players. I'll get to Paul Flynn's much better Mm -hmm. column in the currency. But, I mean, the Dublin culture, you know, also saw Dermot Connolly try to kick a sideline over the bar in the last minute of an All-Ireland final in 2016 when Dublin were already a point up, giving the ball back to Mayo in, like, a completely brainless moment. Mayo go up the field, hit one of the great clutch points I've ever seen in Crow Park 60 seconds later. Like, culture is is fine, but, like, there are limits to what culture can achieve, you know? And I just... Like, this stuff about the row in 2020, you know? I'm sitting here thinking, what would he say... Like, what would he or Joe Bolly say about the Mayo culture if that Mayo culture had allowed one of their substitutes to start a massive row in the tunnel at halftime in a game that they were absolutely in control of? Just, you know, seems kind of loose to me. And then, like... 200 words after that. So, I mean, and, and you know, Philly presents it as like, he's playing chess and everyone else is playing checkers, you know? Mm-hmm. That like, I've, I've managed to get inside their heads. Yeah, that he's in, that he's in control and he's, he's, he's getting them riled up. Yeah. yeah. So maybe like 200 words after that, he writes, last year at full time in the Ireland semi-final, one of their players came on the pitch and grabbed me to get involved in a row that had not only nothing to do with him, it had nothing to do with me. And this is Aidan O'Shea. Now, I don't know what the motivation is there, but I suspected it's something to do with settling old scores and with a bit of posturing thrown in, which is fine, but to me, that comes from ego. So that incident is completely different to Philly starting a row <laughs> in the tunnel eight months before, literally eight months before. One of these things is a tactical, psychological masterstroke, and the other is the unbridled ego of, you know, a rogue well, operator. I mean, but hang on a second, Murph. I, I thought one of them was at halftime and the other was at full-time. Uh, full-time, about to go into extra time. Oh, uh, Okay. Yeah. So there was another. Anyway, the, the, Paul Flynn was writing in the currency. It, I, you know, there were other narratives too. He says the idea of Mayo as celebrities rather than serious footballers was out there in the media. As somebody who played them many times, I can tell you nothing could be further from the truth. This is exactly what he told us uh, before and after the semi final last year. He also said in that article, clinical decision-making under pressure, selfless shot selection and intelligent game management are key indicators that a team are psychologically in the right place and at critical times in the past, Mayo have struggled with this. This is also fair criticism. The, uh, these are the things that separate great teams from really, really good teams. But again, it's like it's not a moral failure. Like they, Mayo came along at, a, at the same time as the greatest team of all time. And when you talk about intelligent game management, decision-making under pressure... They weren't doing that in a vacuum. They were up against the greatest team of all time. So but at Murph, that but rarefied on, but, but, level, but, but, they failed. But, 
both both Paul Flynn and Philly McMahon can be right. Paul Flynn can be right in, in the reasons he offers that Mayo never got over the line. And Philly McMahon can also be right that a, a factor in it could have been that, as he says, they're too easy to wind up. They're too busy trying but, to live up to some image not, of themselves portrayed in the media. Yeah. Could, that, that, could, that could all be part of the part of the mix. Well, Paul is speaking from experience, having looked at them and having seen like selfish shot selection, intelligent game management, clinical decision making. These are areas where he could he saw that Mayo uh, fell short. What Philly is doing is saying, I don't like Aidan O'Shea. I think he's got a massive ego. Therefore, there's something wrong with the entire Mayo team if the camp looks up to Aidan O'Shea. And I think that that's not fact-based. You know what I mean? Like, he's mm. not in the camp. And quite frankly, this idea that any of us are in a position to be able to, to say the Mayo players do respect player X or don't respect player X. I mean, Aidan O'Shea is one of the leaders in that team, I presume. Lee Keegan is another leader in that team who we saw after Tyrone scored a goal in the second half of last year's All-Ireland Final, solo the entire length of the field and kick an unbelievable score to lift his entire team. Like, this is leadership, you know what I mean? Like, obviously, Mayo have a problem in All-Ireland Finals. They, you know, it was a bottle job last year, certainly. They came up against Dublin plenty more times. I'm not sitting here saying that, that everything Mayo do is right. It's just this idea that as long as Dublin are winning, everything they do is absolutely correct. As long as... Everything the like everything the All Blacks do is immediately attributable to every other team in world sport because they keep winning. You know, like this idea that the culture is what wins these games. I mean, I just this is a very long winded way of saying that Kieran Kilkenny and Brian Fenton aren't like right now after Dublin's fourth defeat in a row, the first time they've lost four <laughs> games in a row in two thousand one. They're not overseeing a radical decline in the culture of the group. It's a radical decline in the quality of footballer in the group. Like yeah. this, this idea, uh, it, the timing of it is interesting. That that you know comes out at, at the moment when, if you wanted to talk about an identity vacuum, as as Philly talks about it, yeah. you could then ask the question: Is that is that happening with Dublin? But you're saying no. You're saying simply a lot of good players have walked away, and, yeah, and listen, therefore like, they're losing games now. And that might manifest itself in ways that could suggest a bad culture. You know, people sulking, people losing their cool, not being as supportive in the group as when they were winning like six All-Irelands in a row. But guess what? Losing is no fun. You know, like sitting around in a dressing room after, uh, after you've lost like your fifth or sixth or whatever, seventh All-Ireland final, you're not going to be sitting around, well, the culture was amazing. You know, like nothing needs to change in the culture. The it, it's uh, it's the football that's that's gone wrong. You know, it's like if you're if you're just going to accept that everything is okay while you're losing all the time, you're not going to go anywhere either. So mm-hmm. I don't know if culture and, and like I, we will talk to Paul Finn about this as well because you know he still believes that Dublin can turn it around with you know a culture shift. I mean, I think that obviously, absolutely, culture plays a part. But to say that Dublin had a superior culture to everyone else is to say that everyone else's culture is like in some way. Like a moral failure, like it's it's, it's like they're, they're, everyone is morally weak. It's like Dublin had seven or eight of the best footballers of all time it's, it's, it's for not a period saying, of seven it's not years. Not they're morally weak. It's just just that they they do the wrong things. No, Paul Flynn said that they do the wrong things. Philly McMahon says that it, it it's no, all down to they ego. Do the wrong, they do they do the wrong things. You know. Yeah, I don't. I if culture is the difference at the top level, then culture is what will save Dublin this year. Well, culture is just another way of saying mentality, though, really, isn't no, it? No, I don't think so. a team has the mentality to win no. at, the, at the top. And, 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 when, and, you know, when Mayo have been to somebody... Because I know you, you've made the point there already, and oftentimes when we'd be previewing an All-Ireland Final or, or talking about it after the event, 
you'd make the point that, well, Mayo, on paper, were they the better team? They were always coming up against a strong Dublin team or they're always coming up against this, this or that. But there comes a point where you have to just win one of those games, find mm. a way to become the better team by beating the others. And if it was never, and certainly in recent years, it was never like they were miles worse on paper. But the fact they haven't done it leaves them open to all these things. And I do sense that also with the, the manner of their performance last year against Tyrone, that's probably made it a bit more open season. And these sort of articles are the type of ones that that kind of rise out of mm. that because that was a proper underperformance and has people, of course, questioning the mental approach, culture, call it whatever you want. Yeah, yeah, and that it's like that's it, you know. But I, I just feel like like there's so much that you can that you can say about Mayo that the like the 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 failings and how close they've came and how they haven't managed to get over the line. I just kind of feel like these pops at Aidan O'Shea for not like for having an ego or like I just like come on like there's and it's it's just yeah. really really easy to talk about what a brilliant culture you have when you've got when you play on the greatest football team of all time but like it actually demeans Philly McMahon as a footballer like Philly McMahon has eight All Ireland medals like he's in a group with like I don't know four Kerry lads six Kerry lads I don't think it demeans how does it demean Philly McMahon to no I mean, I mean demean part is, of the reason yeah, demean maybe is the wrong word but like it lessens yeah. the brilliance of him as a footballer and the brilliance of his teammates as footballers to. To, to say that as like it's culture that set us apart it's like but is that not the point that they were prepared to do that that, that they were prepared to be subsumed into this bigger thing uh, you know and maybe take less critical um, in fairness they got plenty of plenty of individually that came out of it anyway they got plenty mm. of praise but that maybe there is a willingness there to um, not necessarily have to have to stand out or have to get praise. And yeah, I just, I, I just, they're subsumed into the. If anything, if anything, they're they're giving credit to um, to their opponent's ability. They're saying, you know, that we we were up against brilliant players. You know, it wasn't because we were better players that we that we won. Yeah, you know, yeah, and uh, you know, that's if anything, if anything, I, I think it's a very respectful take mm. from Philly. Uh, that's certainly been the <laughs> that's certainly been the reaction in, in Mayo. But I, I just kind of feel like uh, again, it's like. I'm standing here sticking up for Mayo, and that's like never really my intention. But I just kind of feel like this culture, this the enemy culture, of my enemy, this culture nonsense. Like you know, it's it's like sitting yeah. the the bus that was like bringing ten Mayo players leaving Dublin City Centre at four thirty to get to training at eight o'clock in McHale Park to then drop them back into Dublin City Centre at one a.m. and talk to them about you know the egotistical culture that obviously exists in the Mayo dressing room, and you're just like, lads, come on, like what the hell are we talking about here? You know, like they lost football games. It's not a moral failure. It's a fa- it's a sporting failure. That's what we're dealing with. So you're saying they just are bad players. <laughs> just that's not good a, you're, you're, to be you're, you're basically just they're not they're not they're not good players. They lay off these guys. They're just not that good. No, they're they, they're coming very and they have come very very close to maxing out on their ability as football players, which is which has won them more football games than any other team except Dublin over the last ten years. Mm, including one the other night which we don't need to get into right now because I think it's about time to wrap up this show okay thanks Perf thanks Ken thank you thank you you, Ken thank you everyone don't forget to sign up to secondcaptains.com to the world service five euro a month plus VAT you can do that right now it only takes a minute and there's a football podcast already waiting for everybody that one is available to all thanks a mil take care It's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. It is not war and death and famine, it's not that at all. It's the opposite of that, it's to persuade us of the world outside of that. That's why sports is important. Hi. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 